Okay, we are in Hebrews chapter 10, and we're looking at verses 1 through 13 today. And this is an exciting passage that we're looking at here. It's a little bit transitional, but we've been kind of transitional in understanding where, uh, you know, where the author of the book of Hebrews is taking us. And last week we talked about the significance positionally of who Christ is and how it is that we relate to him uh, positionally and how we're affected by that. We're going to continue that discussion today, uh, but in a different fashion. And I want you to, to pay attention because this is, uh, this is future uh, type stuff. We've been, we've been talking about future type stuff, but it's really important that you understand the position of Christ and, and particularly because the message of Christ has, is, is and has been watered down for, for some time. And what we're going to talk about this morning is that you cannot water down what took place and why Jesus is being shown as, as replacing the high priest under the old covenant and why he is the final sacrificial um, lamb, that his blood covers once and for all the sins of all. And that's what we've been kind of talking about. So let's start out, let me, let's, let me read for you um, Hebrews chapter 10 verses uh, 1 through 13. Now the old system in the law of Moses was only a shadow of things to come, not the reality of the good things of, of what Christ has done for us. The sacrifices under the old system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If, if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices uh, would have stopped. But the worshipers would have been uh, purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But just the opposite happened. Those yearly sacrifices reminded them of their sins year after year, uh, for it was not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why Christ, when he came into the world, said, You did not want animal sacrifices and grain offerings, but you have given me a body so that I may obey you. No, you were not pleased with animals burned on the altar or with other offerings for sin. And then he said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, just as it is written about me in the scripture. Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or grain offerings or animals burned on the altar or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, uh, though they were required by the law of Moses. And then he added, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to establish the second. And what God wants is for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands before the altar day after day, offering sacrifices that could never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as one sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down at the place of highest honor at God's right hand, and there he waits until his enemies are humbled, 
as a footstool under his feet. Wow. Uh, John MacArthur tells a story of a of a, uh, a church community in an English village that um, wanted to put the sentiment of where they were coming from uh, in their village, and so they they had a sign made up, and the sign said, "We preach Christ crucified," and uh, godly preachers preached there, and the village prospered and. But as time passes, everybody gets old, and things change. Constantly things are changing, and as things change, the attitude of the congregation uh, began to change as well, and they didn't see the necessity to emphasize Christ being crucified and the sacrifice associated with that, so they stopped preaching that. And eventually, you know, in, in uh, you don't see it so much here in the States, but in England there's a lot of ivy. Ivy covers buildings and all kinds of things. And so um, ivy grew up and covered the word crucified. And then the sign just read, we preach Christ. And then as the generations passed and nobody cleaned that up, um, attitudes begin to change about how it is that they represented uh, the gospel and how it is they represented um, who Jesus Christ was. And again, attitudes changed, people changed, and the message changed as well. And as the message changed, the ivy began to was growing still, and the ivy covered up the word Christ so that all people could see is, we preach. That's significant of what we have seen in our society today. If you turn to the 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, um, the Apostle Paul is, is talking about his experience in dealing with the church at Corinth. And, and there, there were many problems in the church at Corinth. And, and uh, Paul relates in 1 Corinthians um, the uh, what he went through when he came into Corinth and he went uh, up to uh, to the hill there to preach and there were all kinds of philosophers and and it was the during that time um, people would come into town and how you would make known what it is that you were doing is you would go up to this certain place and you would you would uh, he was talking about his his uh, in Athens now, so he's explaining to the um, his attitude when he comes to Corinth. But he's talking about his experience at Mars Hill in Athens. And what would happen is, is if you were a philosopher of the day, you would go up to Mars Hill and you would sit around in kind of a forum and you would you would tell your ideas. This is what life is about. So you had Gnosticism, you had Stoicism, you had you know these various uh, philosophers or you know people who followed Plato, people who followed Aristotle. And so they would go up and they would spend time talking about the things of life. What is life all about? And they would spew out these philosophies and everybody would kind of chime in. And so when Paul went there, he too shared the basics of the meaning of what it means to, to follow Christ. And these people, since they were um, familiar with philosophies and they were familiar with different ideas, 
there was kind of a mm, interesting, you know, okay, you know. And so he had some followers. But the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians relates that he, he was disappointed with his experience in Athens because, um, because he gave in to that type of, of atmosphere of intellectual discussion. And when he came to Corinth, he says to the people in Corinth, I have determined to preach Christ and to preach Christ crucified. No excuses. That is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here in Hebrews, we see a transition taking place. We see this transition taking place where the author of Hebrews is telling us, look, under the old covenant, the old covenant was powerless in order to meet the needs of mankind. It was powerless because it failed in three ways. First of all, um, the, the covenant as was set up by, by Moses, between God and Moses, was incapable of bringing the people, the masses, before God. Access was granted to God, but only through the high priest and only through ritual and ceremony. The laws of God, the will of God were spoken through priests and once the, the priests um, failed in their job, then it was spoken through the prophets. But there was never direct access with the common people. We, we are so blessed today because you know we spend time in prayer. We spend time in prayer giving thanks to God directly. And when you have concerns about what's happening in your life, you can come before God and you have direct access into the throne room of the Most High. Into the throne room of the Creator of all creation because of the work of Christ. Under the Old Covenant, that didn't exist. If you wanted to come before God, you had to bring offerings, sacrificial offerings, and you had to have a mediator, the high priest. It, it, it didn't work. And then the second issue is, is that the, the sins of the people were never removed. They were glossed over. That's the reason why people still had guilt. That's the reason why people still had tragedy inside of their life. It, it is said of the priesthood that when, when, the, when the priests were offering sacrifice, see, you, 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 might have, you might have in your mind kind of, a, kind of a thinking that, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal, that maybe the priests were offering sacrifice for, you know, the masses, you know, like uh, Sun Young Moon used to do a mass marriage ceremony and marry 30,000 people all at once. And the priests, the high priests gathered all of Israel and all of Israel sacrificed all at once, one time, a bull for the sins of the people. There, there, there was an element of that, but let me tell you something. The sin offerings, if you go into Leviticus and you read through Leviticus, the requirement of the offerings that had to be brought before the Lord for various things there's all kinds of offerings. And it wasn't just that, that it was done by one person one time for all the masses. 
but everybody had to participate. So you had to bring your best lamb. Or if uh, a lamb without blemish, the, the most pure that you could find. Or if that wasn't available, then there was, a, there was kind of a, a list that you could go down. And you would go down this list based upon how wealthy you were or how poor you were, and you would bring these animals to sacrifice for all the things that you needed. And the priests were just overworked because they were killing all these animals. And it's said that, that the temple was constructed in such a way that there were actual channels because the blood flowed so deeply that there were channels built into the temple to drain the blood out away from the temple because it just ran so much. Now, you know, we, we, we're kind of sanitary in our thinking when it comes to butchering an animal. I mean, I don't know, you know, some of you are hunters, and so maybe you've gone out and you've had to, you know, uh, dress your kill when you go out and, and you shoot a, a deer or, you know, whatever you're hunting. But let me tell you something. It is not pretty. When you have to dress out an animal, when you kill an animal to sacrifice, it, there, there's blood all over the place. And it's dirty and it's messy and the priests were overworked. They were overworked so much in dealing with the sins of the people that, that they were required to retire by age 50. Because it was just so arduous a job to kill and slaughter all of these animals. And for what? For what? Their sins weren't taken care of. They just had to do it over and over again. The third issue here is that these were only external showings. They didn't deal with the, eternal, the internal nature of the sin that man was plagued with. His separation from God because of the distance that was there. The author of the book of Hebrews is pointing out that Jesus Christ came to put to sleep the old covenant and to bring into being a new covenant where he is our high priest and it is his blood that was spilled and it is not for just a period in time but it was for all eternity last week we talked about past present future Jesus Christ had to come to put to rest the old covenant the sacrifice uh, and this is where we talk about the change in attitudes. Let me tell you something. Sin is not pretty. And there has been a change in, in society where we don't want to present the issue of man's sin. We don't want to present the issue that there is a separation that takes place. Without the work of Christ on the cross, man is lost and separated from his Creator. There must be a payment made. That's why the Apostle Paul says that the Christ is the propitiation. Remember, he's a substituting, a substitution, a su I can't even pronounce it right. A, he's, a, he's a substitutionary payment for your sin and mine. Our sins have to be addressed. And today we have people who don't want to address sin. God is love. When you talk to me about Jesus, yes, oh, love. God is all about love. 
and peace. Don't talk to me about that sin stuff. God doesn't care about that. He cares about love. Let's just love everybody. B.S. I could say it's stronger, but I'm just going to leave it at B.S. You know what that all means. If I have to spell it out, talk to me later. Listen. Jesus Christ came to address the fact that we were separated from God and that He addresses our sin so that we no longer have to be separated from God and we can be new creations. I was so pleased because last week for you Romans people, you entered into two of my favorite verses. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, because in these verses, the Apostle Paul makes it clear, you are a new creation. We talked about the changing of the minds that now in Christ, because of the work Christ has done, you are a new creation and you have, should have a, a, a changed mental outlook on how it is that you deal with things. Sin is ugly. Separation from God is ugly. The old covenant was inadequate. And that's the reason why Jesus had to come. Because the old covenant was inadequate. And instead of making people feel better about their position before God, the old covenant only made them feel worse. Now, don't get me wrong, for those of you who know me, I'm not a touchy-feely kind of guy. But the reality of it is, is that how we feel is based upon how we perceive reality. And we should understand reality based upon what really happened. And our faith is based upon the knowledge that the work of Christ is final and will never have to be repeated again. You don't have to be reminded again and again and again and again that you are sinful. You don't have to again and again and again offer sacrifice because it was all taken care of on your behalf by Christ. Now in Hebrews... What we closed with in these verses is very important. And again, people shy away from this. In fact, I've heard some recent comments that there are some people that just don't like it. But the author of Hebrews says this in regard to the work of Christ. First of all, the author of Hebrews says the work of Christ is finished. Finito. No more. It is done. It does not have to be done anymore. But our high priest offered himself to God as one, one sacrifice for sin. Not many, not multiple, not needing to do it again, but one sacrifice for sin, good for all time. And then... He sat down at the place of highest honor at God's right hand, and there he waits until his enemies are humbled 
as a footstool under his feet. You get this? God, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, came, he did the work that he needed to do, and then after doing the work that he needed to do, he sat down at the right hand of God. We paint this picture of Jesus Christ. Society has painted this picture, and Christians have painted this picture of Jesus Christ, of being some mushy, wishy-washy character. We mistake the understanding of God's character because He was meek, as if He's you know, some type of a wimp, a wuss. You know what meekness means, right? Definition of meekness is power under control. We're supposed to exemplify meekness in how we live as we seek to align ourselves with the character of God. That means not that you're a wuss, but it means that you understand the power of God and you allow the Holy Spirit to help you to control it. Listen to where Jesus Christ is right now. At the right hand of God. Waiting His time. Revelations chapter 5. And then I looked again, and I heard the singing of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, and the living things and elders, and as they sang a mighty chorus, The Lamb is worthy. The Lamb who was killed, He is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and all the sea, and they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne to be the Lamb forever and ever. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God right now, waiting and biding His time until He comes back in power. When Jesus comes back in power, He will set all things straight. Look at Revelation chapter 19. And in Revelation chapter 19, it gives a description of Jesus coming. And then I saw the heaven open, starting at verse 11. And then I saw the heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. And the one sitting on the horse was named Faithful. And true. And for the judges fairly, and then, and then he goes to war, and his eyes were bright like flames of fire, and his head had many crowns, and a name was written on him, and only he knew what it meant, and he was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. And the armies of heaven dressed in pure white linen followed him on white horses, from his mouth came a sharp sword, and it struck down the nations. And he ruled them with an iron rod, and he trod the winepress of a fierce wrath of the Almighty God. And on his robe and thigh were written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Can you picture it? Jesus Christ will not come back as a servant, as a wimp, when he comes back, but he will come back in power and in righteousness. And He will set straight the ills of the world once and for all so that His kingdom might reign. This is the Christ whom you have given your allegiance to. 
God is love, yes, but He's much more than love. And let me tell you something, the love which is described in Scripture is not a mushy, wishy-washy, feely kind of thing. God is also righteousness. God is also purity. God is also true and just. And this emphasis that society has placed upon Jesus being, like so many others, a good man and loving that's part of it, but his love was demonstrated with cold, calculated action which secured your presence and my presence into the presence of a holy and righteous living God. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying, that under Jesus Christ we no longer have an inadequate system. We are no longer barred from the presence of God, but because of the work of Christ, we stand now justified before God and we will enter into heaven, the kingdom of heaven, to live eternally with God. Here's my question for you. Like so many other weeks, I've posed this type of a question, but it's important that you fathom it. It's important that you get hold of it because the reality of it is, is that you, as ambassadors of Christ, need to represent Him, and you yourself need to be prepared. Let me When you talk to people about who Jesus Christ is, do you bring up sin? Do you bring up the fact that God addressed your sin, and His blood was necessary to be sacrificed so that you could be redeemed before God? Do you talk about the sacrifice that was made, the necessary sacrifice, once and for all, that Jesus Christ made? That He is now the high priest. That He is, he is once and for all has covered your sins. And that your goal right now is to become, as First Peter has said, I mentioned this last week, First Peter tells us what we are to be holy for. He is holy. So first of all, when you have those opportunities to talk to other people about the issues that they're having in their lives, and I know you talk about these things. I, I know some of you are in situations where you have to be somewhat PC, and you can't discuss certain things. But you see, the reality of it is, is all people deal with the effects of sin. All people deal with the effects of sin. Sin is so prevalent in our world. Now, I'm fond of saying, ooh, poor choice. Because life is about choices. And as a non-believer, the non-believer is powerless except to fall to poor choices. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans in chapter 7 and 8 where he talks about the fact that even though I want to do good, my body, my relationship with sin constrains me that it's a struggle for me to be able to do good. All people address the issue of sin. It is a universal issue. And when people talk to you about the drama that they have in their lives, that is the perfect opportunity to talk to them about what's happening in regard to the sin in their life. 
And then in Jesus Christ, you have found that it's possible to overcome that drama because God through His Word is teaching you how to make good choices. Not poor choices. That God through His Word shows that Jesus Christ has cleansed you from your sin. And that He paid the propitiatory price sacrificially for you so that you stand redeemed before God. The Apostle Paul says nobody can accuse you before God. Your family might accuse you. Your friends might accuse you. Your dog might accuse you. Oh, yes. Dogs talk. I had a running conversation with Bogey. Mariah's convinced to this day that I, we talked. I speak English, Tagalog, Leprechaun, and dog. People accuse you, but Scripture says that you stand as one who is not accused in the presence of God because of the work of Christ. So that's my question. Do you seek out do you take those opportunities when people are spilling their guts to you about how their life is nothing but drama and how they don't know how to get a hold of it? Jesus Christ is the final solution and is presented in Scripture here as one who now sits on the throne of God, the right hand of God, waiting His time to come back in power and to come back and make a new kingdom void of sin. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Chapter 15 of the book of, of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Let me tell you something. Do you take the opportunity to recognize that and to share that the process that you're in is learning how to live in a holy fashion? Learning how to understand the world through God's eyes. See, that's what we've been talking about. That's what I've been sharing with you. You don't have to make poor choices. You can choose to follow after good, not for the sake of following after good, because you are learning how to be what you already are. In God's eyes, you are holy and righteous because of what He has done and how you are covered in the blood of Christ. Now you have to learn to live like you, like you are. And there are so many believers who walk around defeated in their life in Christ because they don't understand who they are. And I would want you to understand who you are in Christ so that you may live a victorious life. And quite honestly, for the sake of James and Josh, and Adam, and Colin, you have less drama. Because as your spiritual leaders... When you have drama, they have drama. How do we slow down that drama? By learning to live as we are, a righteous and holy people. Go to your groups, talk about those two aspects. Are you seizing opportunity to share with people what Christ has done in regard to sin? And are you preparing to live into eternity with the righteous and holy Jesus Christ leading the way?